Whether you're joining us from Prosper, Garland, Louisville, Dallas, here at our Plano campus or globally, it is our honor to serve with you and to worship with you as well as go to the Word with you on today. Um, today I have a, a slightly different message. Um, if you want to hear something about be a better man, then you probably need to go to uh, Lakewood Church this morning. If you want to hear be a kingdom man, you probably need to go to uh, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship this morning. All, all wonderful churches that I love so much, um, but not a one community. I'm sorry, that's not what you're going to hear. Mm. <laughs> let, let me show you what we're going to talk about. Uh, on Friday, in, on, on, in, on CNN Online, there was a title. Uh, uh, a message was given by the Russian leader, Putin. And I'm going to read it for you. Because the, the Lord God helped me with my sermon today. Take, watch this. Come here. Oh, it's going to make sense. Come here. Well, well, here's what he said. It was CNN. Putin lambast the West. Here we go. Remember this phrase for the rest of your life. And declares the end of, read this with me, the era of the unipolar. Huh. Putin declares the end of this idea that the United States running this world is over. What does that have to do with Father's Day? Everything. He says, Russia declares an end to the unipolar world where the West dominates. Ah, ah. Russia blames the West for rising food prices, fears, Ukraine's close, close ties to the West, and claims a sovereign country's right to defend its security. Finally, Putin claims the EU has lost its sovereignty and have become puppets of the West. So we're going to talk about it today on this Father's Day. It's going to be, the message is going to come from one simple verse that's founded in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Round about verse 32. I want you to read it with me at all of our campuses. Will you stand and let's read this one verse. Here's what it says. Everybody read it with me, please. Of the sons of men who, with knowledge of what Israel should do, their chiefs were 200, and all their kinsmen were at their, my God, my God, my God. Don't miss it, don't miss it, don't miss it. Here's what he says. He says there's a group of men. This is in the context of a whole lot of people and other, 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 other regions that they're saying, hey, man, you guys should bring 120,000 uh, men. You should bring 40,000 men. You should bring 30,000 men. But the men of Issachar, 200 men is what they brought because they understood their times. What's the context of this? Uh, 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 the, the, the children of Israel had argued that, God, we want a king. So they chose their own king. It was an insult to God because God um, uh, didn't want them to have a king. But they wanted what they wanted. So he says, all right, you choose your own king. So they chose Saul. And they were proud of Saul. 
Well, this was the era where now Saul was beginning to wane and his kingdom reign was coming to an end. David was in hiding because he was fearful that because um, they, Saul killed his thousands and David killed ten thousands and that was the worship song of the day, he got real jealous and wanted to take him out. So now armies are siding with people and all of these guys are coming to hang out in hiding with David. In that context, here's what it says. The sons of Issachar, men who had the gift of discernment. They weren't blinded. They weren't just going with the flow of the culture. But they understood exactly what was happening. And here's what they did. They knew exactly how to think, how to act, and what to do. My concern is, here's my concern, that we got a generation of men who have no idea what they're doing. And they're walking around saying, let me just make as much money as I can. Let me just do whatever I want to do. Whatever feels right, let's do it. And they are absolutely clueless as to what's happening culturally, what's happening governmentally, what's happening in the world order. And be- where am I at? Oh. And because they are, <laughs> I want to hit Nova. And because, and because they are, they're making decisions. That's affecting their families and the world, and they have no idea what they're doing. Let me say it another way. They're making decisions to align with political parties, and they have no idea what they're a part of. They're making decisions to support political figures and get more passionate about serving there than serving in the body of Christ. And they have no idea what they're doing. And so on today, I want to talk about it. You don't need a dictionary. It's going to be a little intellectual, but it's okay. I need us to understand our times so we're clear about what's happening and you're clear about what God is up to in this world. Is that all right, fam? You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. Here we go. Um, we're in a series called Stretched Thin. And what we're saying in this series is, that last time we talked, we said that God's called us um, to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. What that means is, what he wants us to do is to always have a spirit of internal joy, no matter the circumstances. Whenever you get outside the track of rejoice in the Lord always, he told us, what I want you to do is I want you to pray And I want you to get back with thanksgiving, and that will get you back on track. But the question then became, how do we make sure not only do we get out and in, but stay here? And then he reminded us in Philippians chapter 4 that the key to this is one word, and it's called contentment. That's what we talked about last time. On today, I want to address a bigger, more global issue that I think oftentimes we, we gloss over to our own peril. So on today, I want to I address this issue. The, the title of the talk is called Better Discernments, Fewer Regrets. The, the more you can discern the times, the fewer regrets you will have. 
And that's what I want to talk about today. So let's, let's, let's jump in. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to realize that there is a massive problem in our country and in our world. 3.2 billion uh, Muslims and Buddhists take on what a window called the 1040 window. The 1040 window is where you have a lot of atrocities taking place. 90% of the world's poverty comes from there. Terrorism flows out of there. And here's the big, big, big issue. And what we have is the fewest amount of churches there and the fewest amount of the Bible translated in that language there. And because of it flows a lot of evil. It is the church's responsibility then to ask and answer the question, what can we do about that? Which is why mission agencies for the last 20, 30 years have focused on this particular window called the 1040 window. And their whole goal is how do we get, how do we get more missionaries there? How do we pour the scriptures there? How do we get the Bible translated there so that more people can be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. Here's what it says. I'll come back to this in a minute. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. It says something pretty incredible that I hope we can, we can get and remember. Do we, can, we, can we pull it up or do I need to go get it? Philippians chapter 3. They're having breakfast this morning and so they are. Um, oh, we got it. Okay, they came back. Okay. Um, um, that I may know, <laughs> that I may know him, watch this, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Isn't this funny? It's, it's not their fault. I meant Ephesians 3 verse 10, not Philippians. Go to Ephesians. There you go. There it is. Oh, here it is. Yeah, uh, so that the manifold, somebody say manifold. manifold, manifold wisdom of God might now be made known where family through the to the and the in heavenly places. Here's what God's saying. He's saying, I want my wisdom, manifold means multifaceted. I want the world to know who I am. I want them to see my sovereignty. I want them to see the beauty of who I am. But the way it's going to be known is through the... And who's it going to be known to? To the rulers and the... We're going to talk about what that means and what that looks like in a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, when, when Putin declared... The end of this unipolar world order, what he was suggesting was a dynamic that we need to unfold. There are three world orders. Over the last 5,000 years of recorded history that we have, there have only been 26 times when there has been a unipolar, which simply means one government running the world. So let me explain this. It's in your notes. Let me explain it. Let's go to all three of them and let's talk about them real quickly. So first of all, you have the, you have the multipolar. Multipolar means three countries, three countries fighting for control and, and, and every single time it leads to war. Three countries. 
Nobody has the, the, the upper hand yet, and they're fighting for control. Here's what happens when that happens. When that happens, you have everybody building up their war machines. And so everybody, every country is spending, all three, are spending money on war and tanks and, and bullets and planes and, 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 and all of that. And so you're spending all this money to show your might and your muscle. Guess where the money is not going when you do that? It's not going to schools. It's not going to libraries. It's not going to missionaries. It's not going to the gospel being spread everywhere. So since it's not, then guess what suffers? The gospel. Number two. The bipolar, two countries vying for control. The illustration is when we had the Cold War between the USA and, and, uh, and Russia. And before then, uh, 1991 is when it turned and the United States became the, the, the unipolar country. The one that had most power and had the influence over the entire world. So which means what the USA said, everybody tried to line up because they had the most power. The problem with that is when one has the most power, the good news is first, then there's no, there's no major world wars. And there are no major world wars because the, all the wars are regional skirmishes between people, but nobody wants to take on this one. It will make sense, I promise you. The challenge becomes, Russia just declared, we're sick and tired of y'all telling everybody what to do. So we're going to pick a fight. Now here's what Russia knows. This is of all 26 unipolar countries that were in charge, none of them were defeated like, quote unquote, in battle. They imploded from within. It is inside the internal skirmishes that weakened them so that they could be defeated. Including this one. You wonder why Congress is so divided? You wonder why everybody is doing their own thing and we're imploding from within and can't even see it? Because it never is another superpower saying, we're going to just blow y'all out of the world. Mm -mm. It is, watch it now, here we go. This is where it comes to your house and your front door. It is because there are two tests. Please don't miss this. Two tests. And most people can't pass the second one. The test of poverty and the test of prosperity. The test of poverty, you know that one. The test of prosperity says, can you trust God when you have nothing? The answer is, who else are we going to trust? What else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? But trust God. You're at the bottom. All you got to do is look up. God, I need your help. That's why that one's much easier. That's why people walk... Two days to go to church. Eight hours to go to church in poor countries because they need God. The challenge is, <laughs> when you get to a city town, when you get to a little bit of means, when you get a little bit of change in your pocket, when you get a little bit of stock, when you get your stock options, when you, when, you, when you get your 401k looking good two years ago. <laughs> you have a tendency, here's where the challenge is, 
Will you pass the test of prosperity? The test of prosperity simply says, when all your basic needs are met and you have piled up a lot of money on the side or you're not concerned about where you're going to live or what you're going to eat or, 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 or what you're going to drive, here's the challenge, here's the challenge. Can you still put your trust in God and not the stuff that he has given you? And, and, and before you say, oh, yeah, I can pass that test, before you say that, can he ask you like he did so many people in the Bible to give it all up and go somewhere else and you'll do it? Because that's the test. Don't think it's just, oh, yeah, I tithe. Oh, okay. Okay. But, but can you give it up? Can you live without? That's why, that's why Paul says, if I have nothing, I can live. If I have everything, I can live. Because the, the goal is not to trust in either environment. My trust will always be in Jesus. So here's the problem with the test of prosperity nationwide. Um, when you're broke and, and you need a house, you, you, you do everything you can to find one to have shelter. When all your needs are met, now you come up with things to think about. Because you don't have, I, I, my house done, my car's done, my, my, um, my, um, my job got a good job. So, so now I got to come up with stuff. Now I got to come up with what kind of makeup I'm going to wear today. Well, I don't like, uh, I don't like Rihanna's brand. Maybe I need to go after somebody. And, and now you have, you have to think of some stuff. So here's how the foundation of the entire country gets lost in prosperity. Because now the foundation starts to crumble because now you start having debates. Why do we need God in schools? Now you start thinking, uh, it's not Adam and Eve. It's, it, it could be Adam and Steve. Now, you, don't have no, you, you, you don't have anything to worry about. You, you, your house taken care of, your car taken care of, your, your kid's okay. You, you have all that taken care of. So now, let's, 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 let's debate some stuff. So now all of a sudden you start asking questions and you start questioning God. The foundation upon which he says, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to other nations. But instead of receiving the blessing and realizing that it is for you to be a conduit to give other people the gospel of Jesus Christ, now you start saying, well, well since we are that, let's question some of our assumptions. So now you want to question, well, God, who says you're God? I know I'm playing the game wrong. You're not supposed to touch anything, but don't worry about it right now. I don't want to take it down yet. So now all of a sudden, the thing that allowed you the privilege to be this unipolar nation, all of a sudden now, is cracking. And it's cracking from the inside. Because we decide that we're not so sure we need to follow the pathways of God. By the way, we have some good reasons for it. So, well, 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 why would they want to do that? And why would they want to do that? Why would a good God allow suffering? Why would a good God allow somebody to not be who they are? And so they argue like that. And what they're doing internally is losing the foundation. And they don't even realize it. And they're being toppled from the inside. Now, Christian men, when you decide and you say, I'm not a Christian first. I'm a Democrat first. You're playing into the game. 
Because what you're really saying is, well, well I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote with my people before voting with God. You don't even realize what you do. You're not understanding the times. You're not realizing that there is an agenda here and we will implode from within. And it's dangerous. Listen to me, please. Whenever there is a multi-polar environment, it always leads to war. Not sometimes. Every case in recorded history leads to war. Which therefore means you need to be very careful. Because when what Russia did was they said, we're sick of y'all. So in essence, we're going to softly declare war, but we want, you to, we want you to topple yourself from within. That's why they love it when we argue, because rich people don't realize the privileges they have. By the way, when I say rich people, I'm talking to all of us. You do know that, right? I ain't talking to somebody else. All of us. If you're in America, you're rich. Anywhere in America, you're rich. And if you think you're not, it's because you have not viewed the rest of the world. You only know your little, your little TV and your little, your little YouTube channel that you watch. So here's, what, here's what's happening. Understand the time. Discern the times. So America currently... It's being imploded by itself because we are saying, God, we're not so sure we want to follow you anymore. God, we really don't care about what the Bible says. Actually, God, we want to get rid of this thing called the Bible because we don't believe in it anymore. We need you to get out of here because every man wants to do what's right in his own eyes and do their own thing because we don't need God because our money and our weapons and our and our um, planes can take care of us and we don't need God and if you fool with us we'll blow you out of the water but until then you Republicans get out of here you Democrats get out of here because we don't see what we're doing to ourselves and instead of being unified we're going to be divided until it leads to our demise. So then how, if a world war is coming, by the way, let me get a little more detail. I don't want to go too far into this, but let me get a little more detail. So what happens with Ukraine is very important because it's going to give direction to what happens with Taiwan and China, that is. Y'all need to know world history. Anyways, so, so what happens with, with, with Ukraine matters because if they can get away with it, then China can get away with it. But U.S. has already declared China, if you mess there, oh, we coming after you. Do you know what that is? War. So all your little fancy things you're building right now, oh my gosh, I'm going to have 15 houses and I'm going to, oh, 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 Enjoy it while it lasts. But don't assume that you're going to have safety for the next 100 years. Just don't assume that. That's a big assumption, that you're going to have safety for the rest of your life. So be careful as we consider. Men of, men of Iskar understood their times, knew how to think, knew how to act, knew what to do. They're not walking around with a blindfold on. No, 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 no but, 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 but why is... 
a unipolar government, governmental world order important? Why is that important? Because it's the number one way for the gospel to be taken to the uttermost ends of the world. Because that's when nobody's spending money on foolish things, but they're spending it on sending missionaries out. The reason you need to know this is because it's not just let's become mighty. There is something bigger than just America. And that's the gospel. And the gospel going to the uttermost part of the world. You cannot just think, let me make all the money I want to make so that my family will be good. It's not just your family anymore. Amen. When sin entered the world, you cannot just think, so myopical, that's all about me. You can't just think, well, my family is going to get rich and I'm going to make sure the next 10 generations of Edwards will be rich. Who the heck says you're going to have that kind of freedom? By the way, by the way, without a war, forget that. Without a war, the third generation won't waste on squander all of your money. So after the next one, they're going to be knuckleheads. But the next one after that, they'll be like, look at here, we're done. We're out, we're out. We, we, we want it. And they're going to end up poor. So everything you're living for today, if you're only living for this world and not the next, two generations down. They're going to be broke. And I know what you say. No, 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 no. I got a system for that because my trust says if they don't. And I know you think you're so smart. Somebody just say amen. amen. That's how I think. I think I can outsmart the whole world. Anyway, somebody say preach, Pastor. <laughs> if I've talked to you so far and, and you know it and, and, you, and you should say ouch, just say ouch. No, no, no. That's four of y'all. Whoa, 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 whoa. I've, I've been talking to more than four of y'all. Um, this is so very important. I promise you it is. Uh, but what is, what is unipolar? Why, why is this so significant? Because that's the way the gospel, that's the best environment for the gospel to flood the entire earth. That's why we need it. You've been blessed. Uh, Genesis chapter 12. To be a blessing to everybody else. That's why it's important for us as a church to bless Israel, God's chosen nation, to bless them, because we're also called to be a blessing to everybody else. No, I'm not, when I say that, I don't mean you, you okay their atrocities when they mess up, nor ours as a U.S. country as well, and the foolishness that we have done in our history as well. We're not okay in that, but we're saying God's got a plan. And we ought to be aligned with his plan. And the Bible is not just something that you do to get your kids through school or to not make your kids go buck wild. Just bring them to church so they don't go buck wild. It's life. And life more abundantly. Which is why it's so important that we understand the times. So what does he say? Um, in the book of Philippians chapter 3, he tells us, I want the church to, be, to reveal the multifaceted wisdom of God. I want the church to be the instrument that I use to show the entire world what it looks like. So then what should we be prioritizing as we go forth? Um, if you look at the bottom of your notes, it says, first page, it says physical and spiritual response. He uses the phrase in Philippians, I mean, uh, go back to that passage for me, please, in uh, uh, Ephesians. Yeah, here we go. He uses the phrase three ta- ten times. 
earthly, when it says principalities and power, it refers to three earthly rulers, three times it refers to demonic, and four times it refers to both. Go back to the verse now. Let's show them the verse. And so the verse says, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the, here's the phrase, to the rulers and the So then, what does that mean? How do we do that as a body of believers? That's what I want to talk about. Turn the page over, and let me show you six things, well, maybe seven, that we need to do if we can turn it around. Because here's your question. Your question is, Pastor, what the heck can I do? What can I do with these big, massive issues that we're facing? This is what the men in the house are saying right now. Pastor, my, my, little, my, little, my little house and my little family is just a little drop. You got world issues. What you say? What, what can my little drop do? That's all I'm doing. So I, I just give up. I don't do nothing because it's just a little drop. This little drop ain't going to destroy nothing or, or, or extinguish any kind of fire. All is a little drop. So let me, just, let me just put my head in the clouds and just keep living and get as much as I can get from me. Because what can I do? Let me show you some stuff that you can do. Let me show you what he says we should do. Um, when you look at how to have a revival, that's where it starts. There's seven things. Every time there's a revival in recorded history, there's seven things that they do to turn this thing around. And all seven, you and your family should be after. And all seven, this church should be after as well. And so it's going to be the foundation of our vision going forward. Because if you want to make a dent on this kind of environment, then that's where it starts. God, how do you get back to your rightful position? Number one. Number one. Here it is. Number one, you got to seek God and you got to go through prayer and fasting. If you don't seek God, it means you can do it yourself. If you don't seek God, it means you're convinced. God, I don't need you on this one. I got it covered. I don't need you. If you, can, if you can do it by yourself, then say, God, I'm good. But if you're going to be the church that God's called us to be, then you've got to start by saying, God, I can't. You can. We need you, and we need to pray. That's why every single morning, every morning, this church prays. Every morning, 6.45 to 7.15, every morning you get on uh, Facebook, and we're praying together as a church. Because that's part of where it starts. Us seeing our desperate need for God. It should start in your prayer closet where you see your desperate need for God. Where we realize without him we're toast as a nation and as individuals. Without him we are. Which is why we have to go before God and seek him in every area of our life. Number two, second thing we have to do, listen, is meet the needs of the underprivileged in the church. In other words, people should know in this church that if you have a need, we're going to help you meet it. And by the way, we do this all the time. In, in, I've heard the story 3,000 times of people in community groups, when they're hurting, another group come over and they take care of them. I've heard of a family whose house got burned down and another family said, we're going to take you in, you're going to live with us for, for the year until they rebuild your whole house. We do it all the time and we should be proud of it because that's what the Bible demands. If you have a brother and sister that's in need, don't, don't analyze it. Just meet the need. Let me tell you what, what rich people do. By the way, when I say rich people, I'm talking about us, all of us. Um, here's what we do. When somebody have a need, 
we say, um, how did you get in that position? We're so smart. How did you get in that position? Because I don't want to make you, uh, give you an entitlement spirit. So I want to teach you the lesson of why and how you should get better. No, that sounds intellectual and smart, doesn't it? But if you have enough, every now and again, you can just meet the need. No, we have a whole system at our church, right? We have a whole system, amen. You've got to fill out an application, and then you've got to, after you fill it out, we've got to review it. About three or four people review it, and, and then we'll call you back, and we'll say, well, on this day, it seems like, and you, you get to all that. But sometimes, you just got to say, it don't matter. You can use us. Let me bless you. Because you have more than enough. Just bless them. To which some of you right now are mad that I'm even saying that. No, they need to learn the lesson. That's what I had to do. Okay, well, maybe God bless you so they don't have to do it. Come on, Jesus. Listen, listen. No, I get it that there needs to be structure, but sometimes you need to blow your structure up and just say, God's been too good to me. I'm going to bless you. And it don't matter what you do with it. Here's why. Because the test wasn't for them. It was for you. Well, you know, I've, I've got the responsibility to make sure they're not going to drink it away. You always have that responsibility, don't you? Is there ever a time when it's just yours to give? Yeah, there should be. Anyways, so in this church, that's what we should do. Any time somebody has a need that's a member of this church, that need should be met. Now, stop, 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 stop. Other side. Don't call Kathy tomorrow. Talking about, I've got a bill of $5,000. Can y'all pay it? Why? Why? <clears throat> because when you demand somebody do that, oh, man. what you're now saying is, y'all owe me. Yeah. Now, if you're in community with people, they will know. Meaning if you're in a life group, if you're in a community group, they'll know. And that community group's job is to then help you meet that yeah. need. But you don't declare, well, I have a need. Y'all better meet it. You need to ask Kathy. She gets some bad calls sometimes from people who think, you have my money down there, give me my money back. You have people who have tithes before and say, I want all my tithes back. They might be in here. If that's you, stand up. <laughs> let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Number three, number three, number three, number three, number three. Watch this. Meet the needs. This is important. Meet the needs of those outside the church. Why is this one important? Because you know how, you know how um, um, we infiltrated the Romans? When the church decided to love people. Random acts of kindness, of blessing the community. And they could not fathom how in the world and why in the world would you do this? Because of what Jesus has done for us. So it's our job. God's blessed this church. This is our best year giving ever. Ever. The bestest church. And the, no, that is something to clap about. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Best year giving ever. But now the test of prosperity is, what you going to do with all that you've been given? Yes. Who in the community going to be blessed because of that? You get all of this and we bless you in all those ways. Now what or so what? So it's our job as leaders to now say, 
we got to find a way to just give it away and to find means in which we can just bless people that can do nothing in return for us. And so I want you to pray for that for us because we have to have the biggest fall giveaway ever. Well, we're just blessing people because we really have been too blessed. We really, really have. Wildly blessed. Let's give God thanks for how he's blessed us. Come on. Number four. Number four. Well, how, how, how do you get revival? By making sure evangelism stays front and center of what you do. 95% of Christians don't share their faith. 95 which means I can get one section, and that's it. These are all the people that should have it. Everybody else don't do it. And here's why we don't do it. Because we've never been taught or because we're afraid of its ramifications. Number three, here's the third reason. Because we have taught you not to. Because we say, bring them to church. We'll do it. You don't have to. Well, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to anoint all of you ministers. To share your faith with somebody that don't know Jesus. Because we the part of the problem. Because we're telling you, hey, let the professionals share their faith. You bring them and we'll share the gospel and they'll get saved and, and you'll have friends. And I'm saying it's your job to share the faith, your faith with the people in your circle for the glory of God. Your job. I accept the responsibility. Your job of finding out who around you don't know Jesus and telling them about the good news of the gospel. Can I get a witness, somebody? So, job. Or, all right, so that means missions, same thing. We, we need more missions in that 10, missionaries in that 1040 window. We need more outreach to people that are needy in our community, and we've got to do this at an unprecedented level. The next one, number five, focus on the next generation. Good God Almighty. Focus on the next generation. No, you're not going to be happy with me now. Focus on the next generation. The reason we built that building is all for the next generation. Because we realize that if we don't have young people passionate about Jesus, then who's going to go to places nobody else want to go but people who are passionate about Jesus? But here's the problem. The problem is, but when every single time you choose your kids' sports over them going to church, then they're going to be passionate about something, but it's not going to be Jesus. It's going to be the sport that you love that you want them to play. Pastor Matt, ain't nobody in here. No, I lost them. No, man. They, they were okay with me, Pastor Matt. But once I touch their kids and them sports, Pastor Matt, they get mad at me, Pastor Matt. When we get off the train right here, Pastor Matt. They say, see, see, this is why I, I love him until right there. Because we worship our kids and their sports. Their sports, the, the people running sports, they don't care about your church. They don't care about your relationship with Jesus. What they care about is, you want your kid to be the best in the world, don't you? Well, you got to come eight days a week. <laughs> and because they have no value system. Actually, they do have a value system, but it's different from yours. Their value system then influences yours. And you simply, blindfolded, let them do it. We have to be men of Issachar's who understand the times and know what to do, know where the line is. 
and know how to, how, to, how to become the best you can be, but still have your value system that says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things will be added unto you. Is that all right, fam? Now, hold on. Second thought. When a kid comes home to you and say they want to go in ministry, quit rebuking them. Because some of you rebuke them. Because you think, ain't no money over there. Who going to take care of me when I'm old? It's not about you. Allow your kids to follow the passion. And by the way, the only way you do that is by you modeling it for them. But when nobody wants to go in ministry, but everybody want to be the doctor and the lawyer and the, and the uh, dentist and the, and the electrician and the, and the hairstylist, but nobody want to go in full-time ministry, here's what you actually are saying then. To heck with the church. Let somebody else do it. So here's what then happens. People who can't do nothing else, go be church leaders. What does that mean? Now you just lowered the intellectual capacity of the thing that gives you life. So why is it that the smartest minds are not going there? Because the parents of those smart kids want them to be doctors and lawyers and everybody else. And never even consider, never even give them the opportunity. Have you ever thought about being in ministry full time? It's not the only thing, but just an option. Can you at least put it on the table sometimes? So we have some of the smartest minds doing it. Come on, somebody. Let me hear you say amen on that. For real. For real. If you, if you don't, just change the environment a little to a multipolar environment where you don't have as much freedom because you're always concerned about what's going to happen to you and your kids. Everything changes. Now what you need is people who know this Bible and can teach you how to suffer in the middle of war. You're assuming something, that we will always be safe. And I'm not so sure it's something we can assume for the next 100 years. Not in a multipolar world. It's going to be all right. Come on. You don't get mad at me. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, reformed thinking. So here's what, a little bit of history real quick, and then I'm done. Um, 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 when the reformers took over, you know, and they said faith alone and Christ alone for the remission of your sins, they did a lot of great things. And then they, they did some things that wasn't so good. Let me give you a couple of them. Whenever you're in a prosperous environment, um, there's a theology of sacrifice and suffering that you try everything that you do to do to avoid. Did you realize that? So nobody talks anymore about suffering. Nobody. Nobody talks about the theology of suffering and why suffering is an important part of the Christian faith. When you're rich, you get all the money you can to make sure you can avoid every form of suffering there is. Every form. Because you don't think that God can use suffering to bring you closer to him. If he did not spare his own son, and his son had to go through the theology of suffering, then why should you get a pass? The only thing, the only thing uh, CEOs are majorly concerned about, they can, they can strategically move things, they can get the right people on their team, they can raise the, 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 the capital to do great things. Here's when they get real nervous. 
about their health because they can't control that. So all of a sudden now, they don't want to suffer. They don't want to die. They want to prolong this thing as long as they can because their priority is never that which is eternal. Seldom. That which is eternal. It is always that which is now and that which is resources and that which is dollars, which is why you see them working out every single day because it's the one thing they cannot afford to lose. Ladies and gentlemen, you know the answer to this. That's why we've got to teach. We've got to do a sermon series called Suffer. It's good for you. None of y'all are going to come to church that month, by the way. But that's what it needs to be. <laughs> come on, let's go. Uh, the next one, the next one. The theology, of ce- the theology of celebration. I want to do one more before we leave. The theology of beauty. When the reformers took over and said, well, we don't like the Catholic church, ceilings are too high, all this stained glass. And, and here's what they were trying to highlight is the beauty of following Christ. But the world no longer sees Jesus as beautiful. They see him as the judge, as the one who will judge you for the wrong you've done, not for the beauty of who Jesus is. That's why the Bible says taste and see. So when you had the stained glass and it was a beautiful rendition and picture of Jesus, when you had the high ceilings, what it meant and what it meant to them and to us, it should mean, is how vast God is and how small we are. And we should, we, should, we should bask in the beauty of God for that. That is why when it comes to celibacy as a single person, it's no longer something beautiful. It's supposed to be something absolutely magnificent. And today... People look at you like, what the heck is wrong with you? Everybody does it. Why aren't you? Because we have lost the art of the beauty of Christ. And so now we need to repaint the picture so people can see the beauty of who God is because it's been lost. And if it's been lost, then there's a whole generation that sees God as a judge. Not of a beauty to behold, to ponder, and to enjoy. Make sense, man? All right, last one, last one, last one, last one, last one. And that is transformational kingdom. The church is a part of the kingdom. That's why God says in Matthew, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Why is this important? Because what happened to us as a church about some time ago, when the city leaders came to us and said, what should we do? That should be happening in every local church, in every city, all across the world. When the city comes and says, hey, can you host a prayer rally? Because we don't know what's going to happen in our city. Do you all remember this? When they they were concerned about riots coming to the pristine Collin and Denton County. So then they said, what can we do to not have the riots lower or, 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 or property values? Because then people won't come. Now, their motive is money. But it don't matter why they come, at least they're coming. So now it's our job to then say, well, here's what I think we should do. Since all these many people make up churches all around here, let's get all these churches together and let's look up to Jesus. Because that's where our help comes from. All across, listen, this is so important. All of, the reason you have wokeism today is because the church was silent. 
The reason, the reason black people are mad at the institution is because the church knew it and did nothing about it. The reason, the reason everybody has to be woke today and cancel everything is because the church sat silently, did nothing as people were mistreated. And in light of that, he said, hey man, they're supposed to come to us. And we're supposed to show them what the Bible says you're supposed to do when things like this happen. And so our job is to have a good name because we serve our community so much so that when they have problems they cannot fix, they'll run to us and beg, will you, te- will you help me understand what we should do in this season? That's why the mayor should know your name. They should know our name. And they should come and call, and they do every now and again. And they should come and call, and they say, hey, what would you do? Can you give me some advice spiritually on this? So that a revival in the culture only takes place when the church is mobilized for the glory of God. Not for its own interest, but for the glory of God. So, lastly, and then we're done. We're done. Last three, and then we're done. Too much for Father's Day. Too much. Um, what's the secrets of discernment? Number one, accurately discern, accurate discernment demands a consistent exposure to light. If you don't know the Word of God, then you can't discern the times. If you're going to learn the gift of discernment so that you can make better discernment, fewer regrets, then you've got to understand the Word of God. What does that mean? You've got to live in it. It's got to be a part of your daily experience and life. If you don't know it and you're not exposed to the light, then how in the world are you going to create pathways for people in a healthier way? So let me show you what I mean. Uh, whenever you go scuba diving, if you've ever been before, the, lower, the further down you go, the darker it becomes and the less you can see. The further down you go, it's so dark you can't even see your hand in front of you. So oftentimes you can lose your bearings and because you do, you don't know up from down. The only way you can know up from down is when you look at your, at your regulator and you look at the directions of the bubbles and where the bubbles are going. Because the bubble always goes up. Ladies and gentlemen, the more you know the Word of God, when you're in situations where you can't see clearly, you only have one option, and that is to go to the Word of God. Because the word of God always points you up. It's critical. Number two. Number two. Number two. Accurate discernment depends upon clear evidence of leading, of the Spirit's leading. Now, not only do you need to depend on the word of God, you also need to depend on the Spirit of the living God inside of you. But now we've got to have a relationship with the Spirit of God so we know because there's some scenarios that we're going to see the symptoms, but we really don't know what's behind it. And so we've got to say, Spirit of the living God, can you reveal to me what's here? It's just like going to a doctor's office. Your doctor and then says, yeah, I feel this way, I feel this way, I feel this way. And they're going to say, okay, you know what? Why don't we do an x-ray or why don't we do a, 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 CAT, a CT scan and so we can see behind the symptoms in the same way. There's sometimes when the Holy Spirit's got to guide you behind what you see to determine if you should be involved in something or not. And then lastly, if you're going to pull this off for the glory of God, accurate discernment 
that's the gift we need, draws from the collected experiences in life. That is, you knowing the Word and applying the Word. You knowing the Word and applying the Word. That's what Hebrews chapter 5 tells us. You know it, you put it to use, you apply it, you get stronger. You know it, you put it to use, you apply it, you get stronger. The more you walk with God, the longer you walk with God, you can discern and see things through His perspective that nobody else can see. The longer you walk with God, there are things that nobody has to tell you anymore. You just can see fakeness. You just can see hypocrites. You just can see people who talk from one side and do something else. You can just, the longer you walk with God, the Holy Spirit will just show you. Mm -hmm, I know where that one's coming from. Yep, absolutely do. Your assignment, men of the house, is to become men of Issachar who understand the times. And knew how to think, how to act, and what to do. Many of you say, Pastor, I don't know how to do this, man. I don't know how to do this. I'm just this little one drop. And so you're concerned about the little drop. This is all I got. The other day at a house in my neighborhood, one of the, um, one of the houses were burning down. So one house is burned down here. And a lot of the men in the neighborhood got out. And we said, okay, what can we do? What can we do? And so all of us got hoses from all the different houses and spread them all across. And we started to bring the hose together and sprayed the house beside the house that was being burned down. Roaring fire. And we're over there on this side trying to wet the roof of the house that's right beside it so that when the sparks come over here, that they meet water and not just the roof itself shingles. So therefore, what is your job, gentlemen? Get with some other men. And so while we can't save this one, let's do everything we can to save the one right beside it. And we unify as men and as families and say, but for me and my house and for me and our houses, we're going to do everything we can. In a culture that could not care one rip about Jesus, we're going to do everything we can to save the next opportunity and the next person and the next household. We're going to do everything we can to do so. So gentlemen, you're not alone in this. It's the reason why you can't be in a life group. You can't not be in a life group. You have to be in one. It's the reason why you have to be discipled. It's the reason why today we have 17 guys here that's been through discipleship that wants to disciple every man because we want to have a church where every man knows what it means and what it looks like to disciple another man. Three things last forever. Only three. God, his word, and people. Men, your job is to get to know God through his word and pour it into the life of people. That's the hole you're trying to fill. That's the void God's left there. That's why his last words to us was, go make disciples. Because he knows it's the only thing that's going to fulfill it. He designed the hole in your heart that way. So you would want something that's bigger than just life. So where are your men, fellas? You want to help avoid the catastrophe that's coming? You got to do it one man at a time. Heavenly Father, will you help this brotherhood of men and this body of believers? Will you help us all figure out what we can do by, number one, getting closer to you and seeking your face? By number two, making sure that we meet the needs of those around us. And number three, by making sure that those in our community know that the church is here to meet the needs of the community. 
by making sure we're committed to outreach, making sure we're investing in the next generation and making everybody aware of the theology that has been missed, the theology of suffering, the theology of beauty, the theology of celebration. And then as the church comes together to transform the community by being a kingdom transformative organization. Will you show us how to do that, God? By teaching us first and foremost how to discern the times so we know what to do and how to act. Thanks for this opportunity. May we never be the same. May we see the news differently from today forward so we can act like the men of Issachar. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say, Come on, put your hands together for God. Come on.